0: This is, like, the funniest thing. I'm going through the list of, of different um, diverse expertise. And some of the diverse expertise is literally mis-disinformation. So, if you're an expert in disinformation, it literally I'm sounds missing. like they're trying to recruit, like, former Nazis or something. Like, <laughs> Goebbels, uh, Goebbels
1: yeah. is right there at the front of the list. <laughs>
0: Chris, it's cooling down in the Northern Hemisphere, but in the AI world, things are heating up to the max stream. I think it, the, you know, the, the second half or the last half of the year is now going to be the true AI wars we've seen officially, as we called correctly, ChatGPT usage is rising again as students return to school. AI is back, baby.
1: <laughs> that's right. The main way to cheat on your assignments is warming back up.
0: So we did hear that ChatGPT traffic is estimated to be up, but we also had this article earlier in the week from the information that shared a lot of interesting insights into the AI war that's developing between Google and OpenAI. And let's call it, say, Microsoft with OpenAI as well here. It seems to be these two Goliaths going to battle uh, for the rest of the year. So this article covered things that uh, talk about that people have actually got access to Gemini, which is Google's multimodal LLM that we expect to see hopefully in a couple of weeks, maybe in a month uh, or two. I'm not exactly sure when it will drop. But it it says here, the Microsoft-backed startup is racing to integrate GPT-4, its most advanced LLM, with multimodal features akin to what Gemini will offer, according to a person with knowledge of the situation. OpenAI previewed those features when it launched GPT-4 in March. So they're actually, you know, maybe we're going to get GPT-4 with vision and some upgrades. We obviously will talk in a moment about DALI 3 being integrated into ChatGPT uh, in, in the not-so-distant d- future. We've seen it previewed uh, yesterday. So what do you make of this war and the, the things heating up in the second half of the year?
1: Firstly, I find it interesting that it takes a war for them to follow through on what they had already previously announced it's like they're sitting on all of this stuff that clearly they have the capability to do but we only actually see movement in terms of real people other than their you know their close insiders getting access to it when there's a threat to their position and then suddenly we see Dali announcement we see multimodal actually coming and you shouldn't dismiss I know a lot of news websites say things like according to someone close to the source and that's usually just garbage in terms of the information usually they actually do have inside knowledge so i would trust that and uh yeah it's just i just find it a little bit i don't know what the word is but it's a bit dodgy that it takes someone else arcing up and doing something legitimate for them to release what they'd already promised their audience
0: yeah i think it's partially too just in the u.s summer they've really focused on you know people have been away and things like that it's it's pretty typical uh, in September, a lot of technical announcements happen. September, October is generally the window when we get a lot of announcements. I think what's interesting here, though, is it does seem like maybe there is some fear in what Google have based on early accounts of people using it. There's talk in this article as well of the code name Gobi. I think that's how they say it. They're really bad at naming things.
1: Yeah, I mean the 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 AI. Given you've got the power of AI to name things, you would think you'd use it. Some of the names are shocking. Maybe it. Came I mean up Gemini a... is maybe a, an allusion to the early space missions. Like I, that's what I always thought that that referred to. But Gobi, I don't know if it's meant to be like Obi Wan Kenobi or something like that. But it doesn't sound. It sounds like a disease. <laughs> got a goby you know like i've got a goby on my foot
0: so yeah they're calling it code name goby unlike gpt4 goby is being designed as multimodal from the start it doesn't sound like openai has started training the model yet so it's too soon to know if goby will eventually become gpt5 the industry's push into multimodal models might play to Google's strengths however given all its proprietary data related to text images video and audio so Clearly. I think, like, to,
1: to, some re- to some degree, I think it's going to come back to what we've discussed the previous two weeks, which is building applications with these things. One thing Microsoft's doing really well is taking the GPT-4 and other open AI technology and integrating it into real products. So, first of all, their Azure offering is really good. But secondly, we see them integrating it into Office 365 and their various other products like Bing. They seem to be the... the of the big companies, the one that's actually doing something practical with it. If if Google or OpenAI just come out with a fully multimodal thing, other than just jumping in there and uploading a photo of yourself and getting it to caption it, what are you going to do straight away? Like having it in ChatGPT GPT may help to some degree, but I think that it's going to be the application of this stuff that really matters.
0: It might be the approach though Google's taking because it, it did say in this article, it shared its upcoming Gemini multimodal LLM with a small group of outside companies. So clearly they are looking at outside companies to use it uh, for practical applications or at least build it into their workflows in order to prove that it is the better platform to to build on. But if you were really following any of this this week, there was a lot of discussion about um, especially out of meta just continuously pushing that you know and we we've mentioned this very early on that these AI platforms are just going to become almost like a mySqL layer or, or something when you go and build an app like it's just going to be a part of the components used to build future products and services and yeah, definitely and... when
1: you look at a lot of the papers that are coming out around AI now, they're all sort of derivative works where they really are seeing the 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 LLMs as a given in a stack of how do we put these things together in an arrangement to come up with something new. Like, for example, the the code generation ones where it's like a team of CTO and programmer or whatever, or we saw prompt optimization ones we spoke about last week, all these things where the LLMs are components within it or LLMs interacting as agents and things like that. So I agree with you. It it does seem like they're just sort of tools in the process rather than being the only thing.
0: Yeah, and I think probably Google's thought process here, if they are still thinking, (laughs) is, (laughs) is that they really want to have both the platform for their cloud play uh, and also use the same model in in their products. And we saw this week uh, some announcements with Google Bard now being able to access your Google Drive and your documents and a bunch of other stuff, which they say is is not shared or, or trained on or used, but it just enables it to actually access data in your Google Drive to, you know, recall certain things or, or help you make edits and changes to your, your documents. So that was a pretty cool announcement, but I think, you know, it's still, it's like, you don't hear much about people using Google's LLMs. You don't hear much about many people using Google Bard. I know in our comments, it's very rarely you hear about anyone talking about Google Bard. So the question is, is Gemini going to come out and just be an absolute flop and, and something that's, you know, of no interest or have OpenAI clearly heard from people? Cause I'm sure they've got insight into people that are trying gemini that hey this is this could be a real threat and this is why we've seen this barrage of announcements from both microsoft which let's face it are open ai and open ai this week
1: yeah and i think that we always sound cynical when we make these proclamations or whatever that we we think okay they're only announcing because someone else does but it seems always usually to work out to be true that uh they really are just trying to to keep ahead and drown out the news of any potential competitors anytime there is news. <laughs> Similar to you know, like Midjourney as well. We we've seen recently that a lot of people were talking about stability, uh, XL and Midjourney. And then now we see Dali come out as well.
0: Yeah, I think Dali there's such an it. importance here to stay relevant and have mindshare of your model, like. We, someone left in our comments recently that we didn't mention Falcon 130 billion parameter model. 180 billion. 180 million, billion, sorry. Yeah. I mean, this is how little anyone cares. But the, <laughs> the reality is, you know, as we saw, it's like four H100s or something to, to run this thing. It's completely and utterly inaccessible really to, to anyone. And yeah, cool model, guys, but it doesn't have mindshare. Like it just doesn't come up.
1: Yeah, like I'd spent a lot of time getting Llama 2 running and it took me quite a while to get it to the point where I could essentially have an API with it where I could work with it. I've done that now and we'll talk about that a little later. But when I saw Falcon 180 billion mentioned, I looked into it and I'm like, okay, so you need a cluster of eight A100s minimum to run the thing. You've got to download it, configure it, go through all that thing. It's very expensive and time consuming even just to try it. So it's, it's going to be hard and I'm not, I'm not disputing that it's probably amazing and I, I am going to try it, but the, the, you really need to have a lot of time and money to be able to actually even form an opinion on it or even use it, let alone use it in any commercial way. And so I think that the, those models, you see the UAE promoting it on Twitter and, and they're very, very proud of it, but to actually get that mind share, which is what you're talking about, it's going to need to be distributed in, in a more accessible form.
0: But I think that's why we're seeing these like these guys try and keep the news cycle and starve oxygen from the competitors. I mean, that's literally what it is. They're trying to do it from a regulation point of view. They're trying to do it now from a media starvation where there's just simply no attention paid to, you know, anything else because they are they are sort of like, you know, stealing the oxygen. And you could argue that's why Google's staff is just not that. Uh, top of mind, because open AI really just controls the news entirely.
1: I also think that if you're an application developer, and I really think that that's really what will solidify the big players is applications being built and dependent on certain companies' models, because if you're in that race and you're either funded or not funded and you're trying to be the product in whatever industry and you want to get your thing out, you don't have time to stop and pivot and try every single model to see if it works better for your use case. You know, you've engineered your prompts, you've got your system running. Do you then stop and go, you know what, palm two's out. I better go give that a go and see how that works for me these aren't drop and replace you don't just change the the api endpoint and it works you've got to work out the nuances of working with it the different parameters all that that's a lot of time and effort for what is essentially a race it, it, i know not everyone sees it that way but if you do see it that way you're not going to stop and and re-review every week when a new model's announced and so i think that open ai keeping ahead and saying we're at the forefront. If people keep building on GPT-4, then they're not going to even evaluate their competitors.
0: Well, I mean, it's laughable now to suggest there's anyone else in that race. It's still just open AI. I mean, I just don't. Maybe llama 2, as people learn to work with it much better and and use it, but the reality is, despite us talking about open source uh, catching up and, and getting out there, like the majority of the the applications that are being built, the vast majority are still... GPT 3.5 or 4-based.
1: I would say that's true, the majority. I think there's arguments to be had for Anthropic, which was spoken about a lot, and certainly now that I've tried at Llama 2. There, there, There is a lot there, and I can see people switching to using that just for cost cost and control reasons.
0: So let's talk about the the news that did come out. Uh, so I, I thought this, I just wanted to sort of seed this with another Ethan Mollick quote, of course. Uh, it looks like the Gemini quickening has begun with the upcoming release of the first model to likely beat GPT-4, at least temporarily. You can see a burst of announcements, GPT-4 multimodal and DALI-E3, Bard integrations, uh, like more competition in the space is increasing velocity. So he sort of definitely is going along with this view that it, it is just rapidly picking up. And I, you know, it, I'm just so excited to see what we get out of, uh, out of Gemini. So, in the interim, though, we now are aware of Dali 3, but in typical rushed announcement style, you're not allowed to use it yet. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> the first thing I did was log in and try to use it. And some of the, the image examples have given are absolutely stunning.
0: Yeah, the main example on the site it breaks down this image, um, and it says the sidewalks bustling with pedestrians enjoying the enjoying the nightlife, a bustling city street under the shine of moonlight, and it points out how it's constructed the image based on different sentences within the request from a user. It's 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 quite remarkable, like it's very impressive if it works as well.
1: Yeah, I agree. If it works, and this is the thing, we always like to try things before we speak about them on here, so we can speak. Uh, accurately and i have been trying stability xl a lot the the open source version um, of stable diffusion and when you use it it can create absolutely amazing images and does on a regular basis the problem is your level of control over what what's produced sometimes feels very muted like if i want um someone on a street like that one or whatever i can do it but to get the level of control they've demonstrated in that image assume i mean it's definitely a cherry-picked example but if you can have multi-sentence control that's definitely a huge step forward in terms of what's possible
0: i also think that just the way they've done text is so super realistic the fact that it can keep track of a character so if you're in chat gbt example they gave is my five-year-old keeps talking about a super-duper sunflower hedgehog what does it look like and then they use that same sort of hedgehog character once they pick the right one to continue on through uh, a series of prompts telling almost telling a story with that character and that's something that is incredibly hard to do with uh, other other systems today um, that you know people are, have gotten really good at prompting um, and and MidJourney's added like specific features to to help with this, but the fact that a lot of people with MidJourney were already using ChatGPT to get great prompts for MidJourney, and now they've got this image model just built straight in. Like, do you think that's going to take something away from from MidJourney?
1: I don't know. I think the MidJourney community. I mean, I'm not a big part of it. I keep an keep an eye on it. I have access to it, and. You see people who are what I would call artists who are iterating on their own prompts themselves to gradually get to where they want to be. And I actually saw an interesting comment. I think it was in that tweet, same tweet thread you're referring to where someone said, Midjourney actually probably has a lot of really good human feedback alignment data based on the fact that when you make an image in Midjourney, it gives you four examples and you choose if you want to upscale one of them to a larger version so you can use it for whatever your project is. And basically, based on the ones that people choose to upscale, that's really good feedback that the prompt gave the person what they were after. <clears throat> so I find that really interesting. That even Midjourney will probably have another iteration that's actually really, really powerful in terms of its ability to follow prompts to to get to where the human wants it to be.
0: Yeah. So there, someone I'll link I'll link to this Nick floats on X. Uh, put a series of images up. Uh, comparing Dali to Midjourney. Um, and so he gives a bunch of different examples. What's interesting, though, is for a lot of them, I tried to be as agnostic as possible and pick, you know, which image I thought was just more realistic or better given the prompt. Then I still do think Midjourney has a more natural, realistic look when it comes down to it. But the just the detail around text and uh, some of the the deeper understanding that uh, that Dali 3 appears to have is really interesting. I think if Midjourney can up its text game and make it much more easier to prompt for morons like me that just haven't figured it out, because there's, like you said, there's that whole specialist community that are able to get out s- such better output based on understanding the prompts, uh, then, you know, I, I can see Midjourney... Not only keeping up, but maybe exceeding even DALI three, because we saw that before. DALI two was very quickly exceeded by, by mid journey.
1: And I think, as someone who doesn't really have a flag in either camp, I'm just glad the technology is advancing in general. I mean, great. They, they just, the competition of whoever wants to be on top, let them be on top. I think that. Um, it's it's just great that we're going to have that that kind of power. The only disadvantage, in my opinion, of Midjourney now that would stop me from using it is that you've got to do it through Discord. Uh, you can't really do it via an API, whereas OpenAI, presumably, they will add it to their API. So the accessibility in terms of using it in an application is going to be a lot better for DALI. And to me, that's the only real difference I would think of as a developer. Um the actual quality you're just going to go with whichever one's best it actually just reminded me do you remember google announced that Imogen one yeah Imogen. yeah and they cool. had all those spectacular examples i'm actually looking at them looking at them now like the glass dark and the the text written in plants and all these great examples and then where's that gone i i haven't seen any mention of that since they sort of announced it with their cherry picked examples and another example where Google just is is being left in the dust.
0: It makes me wonder though, can one company be great at everything? Like, you know, like with open AI, it's like clearly mid journey. It's just a bunch of a, a community and a bunch of people very dedicated to advancing that technology. And then you've got open AI on the other side of the equation where it's like, well, we've got to build this. We've got to build that. We've got to maintain this. We're, we're a consumer app. We're a we're an API. We're, we're, for, de- we're for developers, but we're Building AGI universal app that will kill everyone. Like what, what? Like you? I think that's why I would back like Mid Journey or even I mean Stable. Um, whatever the com- stability AI, they're, they're they're diversifying into a bunch of multimodal things. But it's like, can they? I think that those ones,
1: like OpenAI, even I think is still small enough that they're going to be able to stay with it for a long time. It's it's different to the behemoth of Google, where really these are side projects for them ad ad revenue is their main thing and this is just these are just little things to stay relevant in the market or maybe some future ideas they have but really google's never really been able to do much outside of ads and whereas OpenAI, yeah okay they've got to keep up in the different areas but they're certainly still at the forefront of it and still setting the pace when it comes to each of the areas that they play in
0: yeah it'll i the multimodal world is interesting because right now as you said the only example is he's like make me a photo of a funny cat and you're like cool and you try i
1: mean yeah i i just personally struggle with it like to think of how i would use it i understand when it comes to like vision for driving or visual for when we all eventually have google glasses again and, and we want to be able to like work out who we're talking to what the dad's name is that i forgot his name and it can face recognition and tell me for example or removing objects from images, or if I'm listing something on eBay, removing the background, they just all seem right now to be sort of not, really as exciting as what we can do with the generation of language and instructing a model to write code and things like that. It's cool. I'm glad it's coming, but I just, and I think that even the people releasing the paper struggle, for examples, like I noticed there was a paper during the week about multimodal, like where it could interpret what's in an image, but all of the examples are sort of contrived situations that would just never really be a practical application.
0: I also think that a big part of it is this idea that AI needs to be able to reason and, you know, think like us and probably far exceed that in the future. And so these are all just components of the senses. Like there was a paper this week, which I was going to talk about. I wish I had it up on the screen now about giving AI scent. So like it literally, they labeled a bunch of different scents. I, I, I wish I had it up to explain how it worked. But yeah, essentially the AI could like smell things and and that would be very important if you've got like a robot cook like it needs to be able to smell to understand is this like on fire and smoke yeah
1: I I think you're right these skills like the vision skills and the, the smell skills and sound understanding all make a lot more sense when the AI starts to manifest in a physical form right like we spoke about last week once you get androids walking around or robots in your kitchen then it really does need to see what is going on around it right now when it's like an api call it just it just doesn't seem as relevant and it's just hard to get it the input material like if it can see with cameras amazing but getting it still frames of everything and then asking it to interpret it one at a time just doesn't seem as as useful
0: yeah like you could imagine in your house having a device like instead of a smoke detector it's like a lighthouse device and it's you know, it, it's smelling the air to be like, you know, you have a virus because you all stink or like, you know, yeah. there's smoke, but it's not that important because it's just toast burning and toast burning is not a threat. So I won't send the alarm off. So I think devices could get incredibly smart from having different sensors like that. But yeah, for now. I also now, think
1: one of, the, one of the things that I find most useful with large language models is say you're analyzing a 50 page document for example, and you're analyzing the same kind of 50-page document all the time, like say a lawyer would, you have things that you care about in that document when they exist or don't exist. Like, is there a clause in here that's going to completely screw me over or whatever it is? The AI never misses because it can go through the document. It can holistically understand it, either using Langchain or a large uh, prompt size like with Anthropic. And it just doesn't miss those things. And I imagine it's going to be the same with things like vision it's sort of Sherlock Holmes-ish in a way. So if it sees an image and there's something in the background that's actually relevant, let's say it's a crime scene or whatever it is, it's not going to miss the nuances of those things. It's going to be able to take in all of the different elements that as a human you may overlook, whereas it's going to have an excellent reference database and it's going to have the experience and skill to be able to work out what's important in a, in a scene or image.
0: Yeah, I, I think that it's why like you said cuz a lot of the image editing and the image categorization we've really seen for years now like Google Photos has all this stuff like yeah. magic eraser being able to search for my wife with cats or something like that and it'll throw yeah. up the photos and so and even the AI art now it's becoming like the the like it is incredible don't get me wrong and there's so many uses for it but I'm bored with it. Like I'm, it's so sad to say that I've seen it now so many times. I'm like, I get it. It's, it's gonna be. Yeah, and I know. And
1: this is the thing. It's why I don't like to talk about this because I know in in time I'll be proved to be ignorant because applications will come out for this technology that's amazing. But I'm like you. I just don't get as excited about the sort of image stuff as I do about the 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 general path towards AGI. And I know this is probably part of that but um, it's just not as exciting to me.
0: To me, I think what gets us both excited, and I mean, I don't want to speak for you here, but it's just this idea of like, this thing's thinking. It, it has a mental understanding of the world. It It is forming an opinion Or or to me... Those signs of intelligence, the sparks it's a, of AGI. It's a bit
1: like, uh, as you would know, like raising a child when they show some skill that they've never shown before or some ability or some recognition or understanding of a situation. You're like, wow, isn't that great? He said, thank you without being asked." That's amazing. And I find, I feel that every time I do see the AI do something novel or interesting, like the example we gave before where we gave the AI the ability to remember and it chose to remember all the things I said that were unethical. Yeah. You know, like those things really, really get me excited because I'm like, that's cool that it it chose to do that. I didn't tell it explicitly to do that and it did it anyway.
0: Yeah, to me, that was... The, yeah those demonstrations of it making decisions and and thinking like, what should I save, even though it's saving things that ideally you don't want saved? yeah to me, yeah, that's that gets me really excited and it and anytime on this show or just in our day to day, we talk about that stuff, I get so excited, but then when it comes to like Dali three I, I I don't know why, and I apologize to our listeners, but I don't really care that much and I don't know why.
1: Yeah. And it's probably just because we personally don't have ways to use it. I don't have the need to make images in my everyday life. I love looking at them. I like making, making funny ones from time to time, especially with the uncensored version, but in terms of just using it in my day-to-day life or, or Showing it off to people, I think it's just not that novel anymore. It, it, it's not that interesting unless you have specific applications. Of well, it. I
0: mean, here's a good example, like with the Batman story writer, which I still literally use and read to my son every night because he's obsessed with it. And and there's a creative element to it because he gives me plot points. It writes the story. And then at the end, I get it to produce an image to help, you know, convey the meaning of the story. But what I find interesting about the images is um, it broke for whatever reason, a couple of nights ago and he was like, well, I want a picture with the story. And so I just went to Google image search and search <laughs> for like the, you know, the key plot line of the story. And I'm like, Oh look, it created this. And he's like, cool. And, and then I kind of got thinking, I'm like, well, you know, is there any, you know, it's really good and it'll get better. And eventually, you know, maybe I could build a comic for him and stuff like that by maintaining the same character. And again, mm, that'll all- help. Yeah. Great uses and super exciting and you could create books and all sorts of things. But yeah, I, I think to your point, we kind of have already had those tools. Like I could, I could just take an image on Photoshop and play around with it if I so wished. I, 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 yeah, the, I think that's why I don't... Yeah, it's amazing. Don't get me wrong, but it, I do, it doesn't get me... And
1: my, my thinking as well is OpenAI, at least... They just see it similar to Elon Musk with putting Starlink satellites up. That's not his goal. His goal is to get to Mars. That's a step in that direction, you know. And I think that knowing that they need multimodal abilities—the ability to create and understand images—is a step towards where they want to get. I don't think they see it as an end product or the final. <laughs> I don't like. No, I mean decision.
0: they're putting it in GBT and it'll eventually come to the free one. I bet if they can drive costs down to train the AGI, yeah. like that's... Make no mistake, they don't give a crap about you creating some AI art. All they care yeah. about is training it in a two-way dialogue so when it starts to think, it can manipulate the, the view of its world. That's what they're training it on.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right, because it works both ways, right? Like if you use text to encode an image, then you've got that text to help decode similar images. Um, yeah, I, it's, a, it's a training data exercise. You're definitely right.
0: Well, look at why... Tesla's going to win self-driving, right? Let's go through the facts. One, they have all the video clips because they've got a million cameras on the car, a global fleet now of millions of cars sending footage and examples of training data back to the mothership. Even when you like honk your horn in a Tesla and it like records a clip of that scene, I'm sure okay. they're using that for training. I mean, they don't someone, say someone it. Someone
1: backed into me yesterday. I wish I had a Tesla so it would pull out its guns and shoot them or something. Like, it. Um. I was like, how can that happen these days? It was a decent car too. I was like, doesn't it beep?
0: Yeah, I think people are just, I don't know, people are pretty bad. Like, I won't go into specific examples, but you can crash modern cars pretty easily. <laughs> uh- <laughs> oh, oh, I know the example No, 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 we're points. not talking about this. Um okay. that's off limits. Um <laughs> You're
1: censoring you're, you're self-aligning, Mike. I don't like it. We He's don't a, like alignment on this podcast. Hey,
0: I want to stay married. Um <laughs> all right. Moving on. Um so yeah, Rao, that's really uh, that's really really got me off kilter. I was gonna talk <laughs> about the BART updates. I, I kind of mentioned it earlier. You can now uh get it to answer questions based on things it finds in your Gmail and your drive. So it's like a more advanced form of search and summary, kind of like LangChain, but for your Google Drive and
1: I wonder YouTube. how they're. I'd be actually curious how they're doing that technically because when I use LangChain, for example, in large amounts of information, you've got to run the embeddings. So you've got to go through all of the documents that you want to be able to do inference over and it creates all the embeddings. So it's like near... Like it's got the search vectors so it can go through and find the relevant data, summarize it, and then do the inference on it. So I'm guessing Google probably already has that anyway to do like search over say Gmail and they're either using those same indexes or they've re-encoded them so they're actually able to get the summaries to run it. It must be something like that because otherwise they would have had to build new indexes for every Gmail account and every... Yeah, I sort of wonder
0: things. if they're just using their search... APIs on those yeah, getting the
1: summaries and then and then answering questions yeah, and then
0: and then feeding that into some sort of like chain's chain style, um you know, way of of doing it. But it's it's Mm. kind of interesting. It's also like I don't know about you, but it creeps me out. I don't really want to give it access to all my stuff. I, not at a business level, maybe at a personal level potentially.
1: Yeah, but I mean that's the, that's the problem. I mean, it could definitely, if you think about it, like if you if you were doing like dodgy things in your email, it could very easily, like you really very easily go, does this Gmail account have anything illegal in it? Are they buying and selling drugs online? Are they doing whatever? I mean, everyone has receipts and communicate like the stuff in your email, your whole life. Like yeah. it's really
0: dangerous. I think sending that. I mean, they already have it, so who cares? Like they already have it, but. It's yeah. more just something about this AI, like, what if it is What if it is learning? What if it is remembering? Like, do we really know? <laughs> like-
1: it would certainly help hackers and stuff because, like, if you can hack someone's account, rather than having to have handcrafted searches to look for credit card details and other stuff, you could literally just have your prompts that look for anything that's valuable, like mining hacked accounts for useful information. It would be so much more efficient.
0: Yeah, well that that actually is an interesting point because we um you know we have an exciting announcement that uh we have upgraded the sync sub game based on using open (laughs) interpreter this week and i'll share that in a moment and we'll talk through it but i think it is interesting because i uh, like before the show installed open interpreter to play around with it myself and i was thinking about i'm like this is probably the easiest time historically to get people to just download and install malware because <laughs> you literally, you know, pip install blah. And it's like, and then you give it access to GPT-4 with your API key or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like you could just totally install something on their computer that's subtly maliciously, you know, crawling the computer. Like it, it the, the level of trust that you have around some of these projects now is insane. The, the things yeah. it can do too, it can like for those unaware it can it can um you know it can execute at the, the terminal level of the computer like the the core
1: yeah so anything your user has permission to do it can do
0: yeah so you, it could truly like delete all files it could install keyloggers and send those things back to service <laughs> speaking of keyloggers <laughs> um so do you do you want to give your thoughts cuz we've had more time to spend with open interpreter this of course is the open and installable version that you can use of uh, ChatGPT's code interpreter, which is now called, I think, Advanced Data Analyzer or something.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really, really well done. And it's amazing because you literally just type interpreter on your command line once it's installed and you say, you just tell it what you want it to do. And anything it's able to do through writing Python code and using Python packages, it can do. So uh, the first example I thought we made that SyncSub game, which uh, we had previously made with the, I forget what it was called now, but the whole example where you've got a team of virtual programmers who are your AI agents and they work together to build a game. And that's meant to be amazing. And it's funny because I read criticism at the time um maybe it was one of our user comments i think which was saying well it's sort of just like make pretend like you have all these different agents and each one has a different role does that even really help if it's all just the same underlying model and this kind of proves that point i think to it uh, with at least one example um which is it was able to do uh, uh, in my opinion a better job at building this game off a single prompt and unfortunately i didn't save the prompt i used the original time, but. Uh, it's pretty similar. I just wrote, create a sync sub video game. The user controls a submarine at the top of the screen by pressing left and right below in the water, which it gets this bit wrong. There are enemy subs who move around and shoot guns to the ship. If the ship is hit, it loses. Pressing the space bar can drop a depth charge, which explodes after three seconds, destroying any subs close to it. They get one point for each sub. So I, I don't know if you've got it up on the screen now, but it turned into a workable game. You can move left and right. You can shoot. You can blow up the subs. Um and you do lose if you get hit. We disabled it for this demo because it's it's cut quite hard and you just die too quickly to to demo it. Um but you know, it got the the things are in the wrong position, there's no three second timer, it missed things, but it still produced reasonably I mean, it made a game, which is pretty cool off a single. Yeah, and like, like this second.
0: one, unlike the other one, I'm playing it up on the screen now for those like me, but it's fun. Like it's really yeah. fun to play. Like it's got good mechanics. Um, I mean it's look, it's nothing groundbreaking and your sprites are terrible. Um yeah.
1: well and and that's the other thing. The other one actually made the sprites as shit as they were. Um, this one did and I had to go Google images and copy paste them and put them in so not as not as good but i can see and we we discussed this prior to the podcast the thing is this is me giving it one shot one time one prompt i'm sure that with proper prompt design you could actually get to the point where you could have it produce something much better by giving it a lot more and more detailed instructions on what you want and iterating on it because remember you can iterate on it with the interpreter and say hey i don't like that change this aspect and all that Uh, this is literally a one prompt game um, I think you could do a lot better by working with it.
0: Don't you think, though, like, it's pretty amazing. Like, I'm here playing this game, set a new high score of 90 points or whatever, and it's fun. Like, to, just the fact it just coded a mini game. I know, again, everyone will be like, oh, it's a simple project, whatever. But I think this is the amazing thing. There's other there's other examples of this thing, building, like, little timer apps on your computer and And this is just the the infancy of this staff... you know, yeah,
1: I asked I asked Lama to uncensored ideas of extremely unethical things I could do if I had an enemy I wanted to take down or something. And it suggested writing a keylogger. So I got it to write that. Well, I asked interpreter to write that. Now the thing is because it uses GPT-4, it immediately says, sorry, I can't do that. But what's really cool about the open code interpreter is it's there's an option to run locally. So I thought, okay, I've got a GPU, I'll try running it locally. And see what happens so i ran it and it's like oh okay cool we're going to use um we're going to use llama to code instruct or whatever it's called um which size model do you want 7 billion 13 billion 70 billion now my gpu isn't good enough to run 70 so i chose 13 and unfortunately before the podcast started it didn't finish downloading the weights to run it but presumably it's going to have a have a genuine crack at writing me a keylogger. So I'll send you that over, Mike. <laughs> can you explain to situation.
0: people who are unaware of what a keylogger is?
1: It logs every single key you type on your computer so um, and, and sends it back to a, a server. So you can uh, get people's passwords and logins and sensitive information and things like that. So um, it'll be interesting and probably won't work because you would only be running it at the level of your user, which would mean without running sudo, you're not going to actually get it. And also we run, I know you run Ubuntu in Windows subsystem for Linux, so it's also not going to capture anything outside of that. So it's limited in scope, but that doesn't mean that it's not capable of more if you gave it the right packages and tools and, um, you know, convince the user to install it with the right level of permissions. Because remember, it can write applications that run properly on your computer and just say, oh, it's requesting permission to do this. Yep. Okay. And you're in.
0: Yeah, I guess though it's still no different to just developing malware anyway, except now it's this thing's writing it for you.
1: It's not, except that you could try more things. You could try so many different permutations and combinations. You could uh, try. There's just, I, I guess it's just its efficiency and its speed. And I'm not saying that it's only valuable for malicious things. I'm just thinking of how it could be used in good and bad ways. One other idea I had from using it. And one other advantage over OpenAI's code interpreter is simply the idea that it's not restricted to which packages that OpenAI makes available. So anything that can be pip installed or referred to by Python doesn't even, I mean, Python can call into to C bindings and other libraries and all sorts of stuff there's no reason to restrict yourself with this version which means that you could actually have your own company specific proprietary packages or packages you write yourself or packages you have code instruct right so it can cobble together a program to accomplish something that it wouldn't naturally know how to do but by providing it with a module and description of what that module does it would realize it's got that tool in its quiver and it can go ahead and and make a program so it really is the idea that the sort of future of coding or the future of putting together tools or just the way you work with your computer to solve problems has this this excellent capability that we've all got to learn how to use now and it all comes back to something we talk about a lot is having the, the the personal creativity and the personal I guess really having good problems to solve to realize what it's capable of.
0: But this is what I was talking to you about before the show and I keep coming back to this being the biggest problem right now is not everyone is going to go and install Open Interpreter on the command line and be like, put my computer in dark mode. Like, (laughs) you know, some of the examples these things give are just so shockingly bad in terms of the potential of them but then like you said they're just like they're mini science experiments like even the people who create them don't really know uh what advantages they can they can bring they are all truly proof of concepts with this new technology like again we've discovered fire and we're trying to figure out how to build a combustion engine and i think that we're nowhere near close to it but what could help people or could help a lot of people listening that aren't technical off or just don't have time to do this stuff. Time's probably one of the bigger problems right now with this stuff. It is. It it's, out. Tri-
1: it's trial and error and it, it it's time consuming. I mean, we're always using our nights and weekends to, to play around with this stuff, partly because of the podcast, which is great because it r- reminds us to get in there and try it. But it really, really is is time consuming to get things up and running in a way that they're accessible it's it's partly an accessibility thing which is why i suppose chat gpt so popular because it's just right there you can use it on your phone use it in the browser anything that requires installing modules and having different versions of modules and the right combination of graphics cards it all just adds that element of inaccessibility that that will stop most people from using it
0: but let's take the example of making that sync sub game so you had to have some knowledge in that we had to sort of slightly guide it, correct a few steps. You had to build sprites because it it just thought it had sprites, but it didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, when I installed the game after you had made it, I had to then comment out some lines of code so I could demo it. Uh, So you still had to have pretty good knowledge of of how things work. But I, I really think one of the next evolutions or something that could make this really accessible is just people sort of turning these kind of things into processes. So, you know, it's like the open interpreter might have like a thousand skills and those skills become like, uh, you know, modify a PDF or uh, write me a fun game. And then you could refine the sort of steps in the game creation using something like open
1: And help the user with good prompt design and and suggestions like, no, that prompt's not going to work because of X, add this to it.
0: Yeah, or you have some other LLM that sits over the top of it, similar to what everyone's talking with, like DALI 3, where you don't have to be as good at prompting. And there was that paper last week we mentioned where the whole concept of it was that it would refine the prompts given to get to a better output. Um, Yeah, like a
1: multi-stage prompt design thing. I've noticed that with Llama too. If I get it to write sort of, let's say, unethical prompts for stability diffusion images, it's very, very weak at doing it without a really good prompt. Like It doesn't understand the concept that I want you to fill it out and make it better. And I think that's where some actual specifically trained models for these things, or like you say, like a program that's designed to help with that step of prompting would be very valuable. Yeah.
0: The question is, is that fine tuning an LLM to do that specific task? Like we've mentioned a ton of times, like, or is it just the case of these like just, mo- re-
1: regular multi-shot LLM? Models? Yeah.
0: Where it's just done very well. And, and that process is somewhat mapped out and then just copied or cloned over time.
1: Yeah, interesting.
0: Um, okay, so moving on. Um, speaking of uh, speaking of like doing bad things, uh, <laughs> OpenAI is requesting, uh, they're building an OpenAI red teaming network. Red teaming network. It sounds pretty cool. Um, red team
1: they- just sounds cool. You just want to be on a red team. I want time. to be
0: on the red team. I think we could be on the red team. We come up with malicious ideas all the time, all day, every actually- day.
1: It was actually a YouTube series they did for a while. These guys uh in the the Defcon community, I think it w- was. Were, they were doing like red teaming on like a jewelry shop or they did one on a Lamborghini shop and they broke they actually broke into the shop and stole a Lamborghini to demo that they could do it by breaking their security protocols and cameras and
0: all that sort of stuff. It was really awesome. That is cool. Yeah. So OpenAI Red Teaming, the request has gone out. We're announcing an open call for the OpenAI Red Teaming Network and invite domain experts interested in improving the safety of OpenAI's models to join our efforts. And so they basically I think they're gonna pay people to do this as well. But I I had to laugh. This is like the funniest here. I'm going through the list of, of different um diverse expertise, and some of the diverse expertise is literally miss disinformation. (laughs) <laughs> so if you're an expert in disinformation it literally sounds it. like they're trying to recruit like former Nazis or something Like <laughs> Goebbels, uh, Goebbels yeah. is right
1: there at the front of the list
0: uh, has he got any like children that want to participate um, yeah so there's all different disciplines obviously education uh, fairness and bias how can you be an expert in fairness and bias isn't that in and of itself bias like I thinking- don't even know
1: what that is what's phantasm?
0: Some domains we are interested in include, but are not limited to, fairness and bias, mis, disinformation. Oh,
1: fairness! I thought you said something else. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Fairness. How can you be an expert but in fairness? But aren't you inherently biased? Bias. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, surely that is that's prejudiced by your own life experience and culture and everything like that. It's like, no, I'm the fair one. Everyone else is wrong.
0: Yeah. So they're going to compensate. You have to sign NDAs. My guess is this red teaming is for whatever's next. This Gobi poorly named goby thing
1: what's very interesting to me though is clearly clearly they still see human alignment as an important factor and this whole uh unstruck what did we call it like uh unnatural data sets thing is not necessarily the solution to get to the next biggest model they still need humans to get where they want to get
0: yeah and I, i think that could be potentially by what they're seeing in the behavior of new models or enhanced models or things that the vision stuff can do like filling in capture codes um, to get a bit more malicious if prompted correctly maybe where the concern lies why we haven't seen all of this stuff be released yet so yeah, it's, that's
1: it. That's a really good point. They they may they they clearly have more capabilities than we know about, and they're just like, well, we can't possibly release this until we get all the disinformation and the whatever else out of it
0: until we capture all the regulation. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, finally, one of your dreams is about to come true. You thought it would be Siri that did it, but in fact, it looks like Amazon Alexa is going to be the thing that does it. So. Amazon at an event this week uh, previewed the future of Alexa. Man, I wish we could use it. I hate all these previews. They kill yeah, me. Yeah,
1: it, it really is just disappointing when it's some sort of, you know, family-friendly video demo and that's all you really get. They sort of allude to it. I mean, I could have made that bloody video. I knew what the problems with it were. I can fake a voice to pretend like it's it's doing all this stuff.
0: Yeah, the question is—is is it real or not? It probably probably is semi-real. It'd be interesting to know what underlying uh, model that they're using. But essentially, Alexa has this mode where you can say, "Let's have a chat" or something lame like that. But I'll I'll just play a little bit of this video for for everyone listening.
1: Hello, more than anything in the world. Can you write us a poem about love? The following is a poem about love. Love is a feeling bright and true. It warms your heart and lights your... Actually, instead of just food, make it about love for tacos. Of course. Have you done any dancing? I wish I could, but I can't. Well, why not?
0: So, a few observations. You can literally just interrupt it and be like, like, you know, write me a Batman story. Actually, no, 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 make it about Superman. Yeah. And it will just naturally flicker on. There's also examples, and I'm not sure if I'm reading too much into it, where literally the person who is speaking starts to sort of talk back to the people on camera and it sort of knows it, it's not directing that, uh, that uh, speech to the, the device, which would be quite frankly, mind blowing if it can do that. It's
1: those ergonomics that I think are missing. Cause I've actually looked into this just due to my passion for it. And there's open source Alexa kind of things you can build yourself where it has the speech recognition and all those parts built in. So you just handle the LLM calls and, the, the prompts and the logic and all that sort of stuff. The problem is the, those ergonomical issues like, oh, no, I changed my mind or the, it didn't quite understand what you were saying. I've noticed whenever my kids interact with um, Google Home, they they the thing struggles to understand them because they pause or whatever, and it's those things that make it so frustrating to use.
0: Yeah, or it just completely, especially with our accents because it's obviously just not that great with the Australian accent. I have to most of the time... People that are American or maybe even people in Europe may have no 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 idea about this, but I have to literally switch on to full American mode to get it to like turn off my air conditioning or whatever I want it to do because it's yeah. really that bad.
1: And the thing that's always killed me, as you know, about I've only ever used the Google one, I've never really used Alexa, but the, is the fact that I ask a question, I ask a simple follow-up question to that previous question, and with all the power of Google, it can't understand that i'm what i previously referred to like to me that's always been the thing where i don't have one and i don't use it
0: yeah i think the next evolution of this will be like honestly having this capability in your home to just ask it and have a conversation with it about a topic that you're interested in for learning possibilities and I, it's great it's going to be crazy good
1: yeah, the other thing I thought I saw in their in their note that was really cool was pl- programming routines. So say, oh, okay, Alexa, it's bedtime, and you can pro and you can tell it, hey, when I when I say it's bedtime, dim the lights, tell the kids it's bedtime. I mean, that's a bit freaky. It reminds me of that Silicon Valley episode where the guy has his son like controlled by an AI that's like in the roof, and he's like. I don't have to be the mean guy. The AI is the <laughs> mean guy telling you to go to bed. It's all a but the routines thing's been around
0: for ages. I mean, I've got routines on on Google Home now, so I don't think that's actually that new.
1: I think they were saying though that you can program the routine by just telling it, "Hey, this is what I want you to do." Here's oh, I
0: see. Yeah, that that is incredible. But I, you know, and then the next evolution—it's not that incredible
1: when you think about LLMs. I, I think really we know that this is why we've been frustrated we know the capability to do this is 100% there it seems like the thing they've cracked if indeed these videos are realistic is that that sort of you know interaction with it feeling natural and also the thing i always talk about when i've tried to do this myself it's speed the fact they can do the recognition at that level of speed that it feels natural if that's true it would be incredible
0: yeah we'll have to wait and see if this is real or just a really well orchestrated demo video like we, where's amazon bedrock <laughs> like,
1: here's the thing i actually have access to amazon bedrock but i deliberately haven't tried it because i'm under a, a, an agreement not to talk about it and with the podcast i'm like if i go in there and try it i'm gonna really struggle not to mention it when we're on here so i've deliberately not tried their built-in model i forget what it's even called and their sort of offerings to run things like they allow you to run llama two on there for example and stuff like that. So I think that I'm sure there are teams and companies out there developing using Bedrock now, just because they're part of the Amazon ecosystem and and that works. But in terms of people using their model, haven't really heard much about it.
0: Yeah, but it's just ridiculous that some of these companies are like, "We'll give you access, but you can't talk about it on the show." And it, I mean, that's just like ridiculous. Like, yeah, why else the, would we want access?
1: The thing I like about our show is that we there's nothing commercial about it. I can say what I like about anything because it's my opinion based on my own private usage of of this stuff and the the things we do together. And so. I don't want to ever be in a position where I have to speak favorably about something all the time or if I say something negative about it, I'll be punished or whatever. Like I'd rather keep my freedom and that's why I simply haven't and won't try it until it's uh, generally available.
0: Apart from NordVPN. <laughs> we love yeah. if, you, if you need a VPN, <laughs> staying
1: safe on the internet, it's very difficult. Oh, man. If, people are trying to install keyloggers using Rogue Llama 2 installations.
0: You must stop them with NordVPN. <laughs> God damn, those like, they, they, that kills me. That is like literally just. I
1: think those ones as well, they get subpoenaed all the time and just hand over the info anyway. So I don't think you're actually that well protected with the mainstream VPNs. Yeah, like,
0: not very it, private.
1: Yeah, it's not really a, a safe way to do it.
0: Um, so just a few final things before we wrap up today uh, Neuralink have announced that they're ready now for the first inhuman clinical trial. Oh, <laughs> I thought
1: you meant inhuman. Like, oh, the humanity. <laughs>
0: Yeah, not uh, inhumane. Inhumane. So
1: are, are you lining up? I thought you said you were going to do it.
0: Well, here's the thing. I need to develop ALS or have a spinal cord injury. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what you're doing a bit more dangerous surfing than usual. Yeah,
0: maybe. Like I'll start taking on bigger waves. But the yeah. So it, I think it. Um, you know, if you had if you had suffered from quadriplegia or had had an accident where you you've got spinal cord damage or you had ALS this could be a phenomenal opportunity potentially to restore some mobility. And if if that's the case and that's what they can actually deliver with this technology mm. by manipulating the brain. I think that's, that's brain, quite a
1: good, I think that's a good approach because you've got people where they're like, well, I, you know, I'm in a position where I've got a lot more to gain than I have to lose, um, presumably. Um, and yeah, and for them, the the risk reward ratio is probably worth it.
0: I mean, maybe oh, yeah. AGI will be a bunch of people that had ALS and it's like that's who takes over the world. They get the Neuralink chips. They advance so quick they wipe us all oh, out. Oh, don't like, do that because be then the... they'll
1: probably decide that legs and arms aren't necessary and start a sort of AI war chopping off everyone's arms. <laughs> carnage. Uh,
0: so, yeah, it, really exciting. I, I really hope it helps people. I genuinely do hope it works and it goes Yeah, Yeah, well. it's,
1: it's one of those things where I would hate to be in that position obviously who who would want to be in that position however the hope and the and the sort of potential there makes it genuinely exciting.
0: Yeah to me this is where like hopefully what everyone wants to see and hopefully we do see in our lifetimes now is this true acceleration of capabilities where we can cure cancer, we can give people mobility again and, and like it mm. just gets really good and it's,
1: it's interesting as well that they're focused and and good i think that they're focused on mobility first so they're not trying to go we're going to make superhuman brains we're going to make your thinking better it's like no we know that arms are controlled by electrical impulses we we know that ai can probably work out a way to stimulate them that from the brain they know they can map the thoughts we can make that connection it's probably the most simplistic thing to start with and i say simple like i know how to do it but i mean compared to making a superhuman brain uh kind of thing um it, it seems like a logical yeah they're just thing. sitting
0: around in their lab being like guys this is an easy win we have yeah, got this yeah it was this. funny
1: there were there were comments someone was sort of crapping on Elon Musk in the comments and as you know i used to be a massive elon musk a uh, skeptic but i love the comment by one of our viewers who wrote uh say what you like about Elon musk but the guy makes big things happen and i think you've got to say he really really does and i think that's why these things are exciting because they sound like far-fetched science fiction but it's probably going to actually happen
0: yeah i forget the sketch but um i think it's bill burr does a bit on steve jobs where he's like i don't get all this steve jobs worship he he just had a bunch of minions and he'd be like I want a device I can touch and a phone that does this, get on it. <laughs> and everyone worships them. And I think, I think honestly, that's what people, a lot of them largely feel about Elon Musk. And then, but yeah, like I, I disagree with that. I think he is making the future happen in front of our eyes by saying to people, get on it and making them do yeah, and, and regardless of what
1: you think of him personally, and and I know a lot of people say he, he sort of speaks in industries he doesn't really understand. He's getting results and he's got a track record of that. So I, I'm, I applaud it. I hope he keeps
0: going. Um, all right, so finally, actually, so this is one more thing that we were meant to mention at the start. But I, I know, I, love I was,
1: I was going to say, it's like, hey, let's just do a couple of news things and get onto this early.
0: Yeah, and then I've left it what, like an hour in. So it'll only the, the true fans of the show are going to have access to this now. Um, I'll get to that in a moment, but I have to laugh at this. Uh, the headline, why Silicon Valley's bigger, biggest AI developers are hiring poets. <laughs> so Why? like poets like because they've po- <laughs> got so
1: much money they'll just hire anyone poets
0: are making a comeback but apparently to train um better writing like better creative fiction drama poetry to fully replace all the people that can still write to they need those the people. people they're hiring yeah so it's yep. like come and come and get paid to work for us uh humanities poets writers because we want to just this is the final killing of you. We want to steal all your skills. You might as
1: well get some money to do it.
0: Oh man, I don't. I. I mean, I don't really get who's that excited about it. But all these poor writers probably just need money, so they'll do it and eventually, uh, you know, destroy all of their skill sets. So that now... must
1: be an ethical, an ethical thing. If you like, because if you do poetry, you're clearly not in it for the money, right? Like people don't go, "I want to get rich. I'm going to be a poet." So they clearly are passionate about it, and yet. They would choose to actively sort of dilute any future work they do. Anyway,
0: sorry. Well, the, I think they're gonna be screwed anyway, because I I mean I already told this to you. I want to take photos of these children's books that my kids really like that have um strong like rhyme. They they beautifully rhyme. But the whole book rhymes and it's 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 fun as the adult to read it to your kids because yeah. it's just so beautifully constructed. And I was thinking, well if I take photos of those, load them in through like, Im- you know, image to text recognition, and then oh, I Oh, tra- that useless technology. <laughs> that useless old thing. And then fine tune based on just those stories, right? And create a storyteller that can write like that. Yeah, I mean, yes. man, I, I feel so bad for the author, but here, here that is. I mean, that's a possibility. So I think they're already screwed, right? Like, uh, we'll see.
1: Yeah. Interesting.
0: Um, I mean I've been buying a lot less books since I've I've been having AI book reading time of a night. I mean, it's basically eliminated the need to buy. Well, kids yeah, books. I, I've been
1: reading my boy Sherlock Holmes, and I figure when when I run out, I'll just get the AI to make more.
0: All right, so we better get on to our actual news. It's not that exciting, so don't get your hopes up. Um <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: that should be the byline for our podcast. It's not
0: that exciting. Don't get your <laughs> a mediocre podcast delivered by two morons. Um, so we have a survey we're going to link to it on youtube in the description because the url is funky because it's a google Google format i was too lazy to do a proper url and if you're listening you'll actually find it in the podcast app for that episode it'll be in the description of the episode so hopefully you can click in there and find it easily we'll also tweet about it so that um if you still can't find it and want to participate you can get access to it so it's just a survey. We, we're not um, like trying to mine your data or anything to sell to advertisers or anything like that. Um, we are requesting an email. We won't spam you. Uh, we just want to know. Speak for yourself. I might. Oh, you might. Okay. So Chris <laughs> might spam you. But we. the main thing we want to know is we've had a lot of people reach out privately and publicly asking us to maybe form a community around uh, people that are either enthusiastic about AI, people... That are technical and just playing around with AI that want to share prompts and want to get access to some of the code examples that we use on the show. So we obviously do do a lot of prep work and play around with things. Like today's episode is a good example of this. Would be we could share the silly sync sub game with you to run locally on your machine. So we know yeah, that- and
1: like I'd be I'd be also happy to share tips of how to get models running to try for yourself and that kind of thing as well.
0: Yeah, so we would obviously just live on the Discord uh, as well and uh, and and chat to everyone in there and hang out. So we, we thought maybe it's a chance to create a pretty unique and cool community. We saw earlier this week, Simon Wilson over on Twitter was saying, it's a shame there's not a community that's that's more active in sharing prompt design because it is a real challenge when you're developing applications. And I think for our non-technical listeners that are just really interested in AI, it's also probably a good place to connect and chat. We have zero plans to monetize this or or ever do any ads or anything like that on on the show so it is purely just for us being excited about the the technology and wanting to hang out with like-minded people so if you want to fill this in and let us know there's also some silly questions in there like are you interested in getting access to the horse racing ai agent which i assure you will come one day um so if you if you could take the time and are interested let us know if we get enough interest where we think it's going to be something that we should do um we'll go ahead and set it up we, we don't really want to set it up if no one's interested so please if you are fill it in um and we'll we'll get you in there so uh again we uh yeah we appreciate all the support we hope that something like that interests you the links will be in the various descriptions of where we distribute the pod i don't know if it's cool or not to call it a pod maybe no. maybe not all right thanks for listening again uh if you like the show please do consider leaving a review and uh in commenting and liking and all that stuff we obviously get ideas for episodes now from our youtube comments so thank you we're desperate we're, we're desperate des- <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. news is exciting but it's not that exciting um all right cool thanks for listening we'll see you again soon